The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Tēnā koutou katoa, no mai haere mai, my name is Toby Manhai, this is a special bonus pop-up extra episode of Gone by Lunchtime. The local elections aren't far away, and that means the fifth super city election in Auckland, and very lucky to have in for this special one-off bonus extra episode of Gone by Lunchtime, Todd Nile, who you will remember, many of you, as the golden-voiced uh, expert on all issues Auckland and the America's a Cup for Radio New Zealand. He has since, as you will have seen, been writing for stuff.co.nz, covering every day with great clarity and uh, illumination the events in and around Auckland, local body politics and the city at large. We'll be back soon with a Gone by Lunchtime covering events such as the National Party Conference and Sam Uffendale with... Annabelle Lee Mather and Ben Thomas. But for now, here is Todd Nile with thanks to the Public Interest Journalism Fund of New Zealand on Air, which is supporting our local elections coverage on the spin off. Tenakwe, Todd Nile, thank you very much for coming in to talk to us. My pleasure. We are speaking on Wednesday, the 10th of August, so there's two days. We're speaking just sort of in the morning, so I think it's noon on Friday that nominations close, and it's also the moment when people need to be properly enrolled in order that they can vote via post. So PSA, everyone should do that. This is the Super City election number five, yeah. I think. How many, of, how many of those have you covered? Oh, well, I've done them all. I kind yeah. of got into, you know, the first one, the the inaugural one in 2010, which was mm. the classic Len Brown on the left, John Banks on the right. Mm. Um, and, you know, because it was the start of the super city, it was um, a pretty important one. It would set the direction which way the council would go potentially. So that was that was a fascinating battle that Len Brown with his, with his Labour sort of background won pretty comfortably in the end. Mm. That was uh, before John Banks got back into central politics, wasn't it? Or before the... The, the Kim.com years, one of yes. the various kind of iterations yes, of John Yes, he'd come Banks. out of being the mayor of the old Auckland city at that point, yeah. up to that election, and that was the end of his um, local body career. And casting forward to 2022, how does this one compare with those other ones that you've covered for Radio New Zealand and stuff more recently? Yes, yeah, so this one is fascinatingly completely different. Um, there's, well, there's been three elections where there hasn't been anyone in the chair. There was obviously the first one, the Banks-Brown yeah. one. There was 2016 where Len Brown 
stepped out and Phil Goff came in, so that was an open contest. Mm. Um, and this is an open contest as well. The difference is that previously there's always been an incumbent who looked safe and right. you, know, you pretty well wouldn't ever have a bet against Brown or Goff uh, in any of those past elections. Now it's it's not quite so hard to read because you don't have an absolute standout candidate who yeah. can go, well, look, it's going to be this person unless. I mean, Fesso Collins in the, in the polls that have been published uh, with his Labour and Green Party endorsement kind of is marginally in front. Yeah. But, you know, there's four, potentially five in the field, certainly the top four, according to the polling, there's not that much between them. And so it's the hardest one to read, I think, of all of them. Let's go through some of those candidates. Um, Fesso Collins is, is is the only one, I think, who's a sitting councillor. So in a sense, he has a version of incumbency there. The others are all coming from different directions. The polling you mention, we should say, which is uh, Curia Polling, which is a reputable polling firm commissioned by Ratepayers Alliance, it's, it's, it's useful and uh, instructive up to a point. But when we consider the low turnout and when we consider that the field is so split and the number of undecideds, it is a very open field, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you can't really take anything from the. the, There have been three polls, the two courier ones. Yeah. And then Wayne Brown commissioned his own one because he, uh, he wanted to zoom in on the people who were likely to vote. Uh, I might be getting ahead of myself, but he, Wayne yeah. Brown is after what he calls the 50-plus property owner, yeah. uh, who tend to be the ones who vote most strongly. So he's not courting the youth vote, which may or may not, he thinks, may or may not vote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it, but his poll came out pretty much the same as well. Fesso Collins slightly out in front, Leo Malloy close second, Wayne Brown close third, Viv Beck, the centre-right endorsed one, mm. you know, still in there quite mm. close fourth. Mm. But they're small samples, and with a low turnout and this weird world we're living in at the moment, who knows what it's all going to mean. And, we was going to get to this later, but it's worth just pointing out that the electoral system in the Auckland mayoralty race, unlike some others, for example, Wellington's, is a first-past-the-post race, and that matters in terms of that field, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's your classic first-past-the-post election. Um so, you know, how the vote splits is important. You know, it, it, you could become the mayor with quite a small mm. percentage of the eligible vote, depending on turnout, but if you're first across the line, that's it. It could be. I mean, I was trying to sort of work my way through it yesterday, and it is plausible that you could win the mayoralty with something like something like 10% of eligible voters yeah. support. Which yeah. is extraordinary, really, isn't it? Is. It? it is, you know, but you're working from that very low base of turnout that, you know, since I think it was about 50% in the inaugural 2010 election, and yeah. it's kind of drifted off since then to 35% last time, which That's is a right. bit of an yeah. indictment, really, yeah. but but an indictment on who. Yeah. Um, look, uh, let's talk about that field then. Efeso Collins will go with first because he is in that tight field slight ahead in all of those polls. He is an incumbent councillor. He is the endorsed candidate from Labour, which he did a little bit of, which took a bit of wrangling by the sounds of mm. things. There was a bit of reluctance, but also the Greens. That endorsement by Labour is important? Um, it sends a signal. So... Mm. You know, for people who have those strong party affiliations and and they count particularly in Auckland in the South and West, it sends a clear signal that, you you know, if that's your brand, this is your candidate to kind of think Mm. about. 
Um, it also is important because Labour and the Greens have quite a, what they call the ground, when the ground game comes along, mm-hmm. they've got people on the ground who can, you know, do the phone outs, do the door knocking. Yeah. Uh, and that that is probably going to be an advantage to them to have a big team on the ground. But uh, uh at the same time, it also exposes you to those arguments that the rivals have as well. Well, you're the government's man. This is the sort of thing that Phil Goff has had quite a lot. You mm. know, you're not going to do mm. anything that upsets the government. Yes, I notice um, that Leo Malloy has recently been running advertisements uh, saying "Get rid of Labour." Like, yeah. you know, there is a if there's some if there's if there's something in the wind that is opposed to the Labour Party, then they will try and pin that his, yeah. his opponents on on a Fisa yeah. Collins, and, and it's something that. Collins is aware of and he tries to counter. I mean, he's pointed mm. out, for example, that he was against the regional fuel tax, which was a Phil Goff, yeah. um, you know, Labour-led, government-driven thing that came out. That he was against it. So you can't, he says, you know, just because I'm Labour doesn't mean I agree with everything mm. that Labour does. And his opposition to that was on the basis of the impact it would have on struggling Families, really, who would be yeah. hit the hardest when they had to commute across town and didn't have public transport alternatives. Yeah, it's a fixed tax, so it means more to people who've got less to spend. Uh, but it's, it's interestingly with his, with his broader approach, which I think at the debate that you and I were both at, at the, um, the Debating Society um, held event at Auckland University recently, he went so far as to say, my campaign is all about climate change, which I thought was quite striking. Yeah, so he's in an interesting position, as you say, because he's a sitting councillor of two terms. He's in that kind of incumbent, but he's trying to differentiate himself Hmm. from some of the emphasis. But yeah, he has gone out strongly in those areas that you would expect, certainly, you know, a Labour Green constituency to be interested in. Um, Climate change is the biggest challenge that faces Auckland, you know, like it or not, there are other things in there. Uh, and he's really hung his hat on he is going to be, um, you know, pursuing policies that, that tackle that and meet mm-hmm. the pretty ambitious goals that the council that he has sat on has set. The free public transport was straight out of the gate, the sort of big banner promise that he made. Yeah, he's pushed that one hard. Leo Malloy's trying to claim that it was his idea, but when we get to Malloy, uh, his position is not quite so clear, but that is... The flagship policy for Efeso Collins, mm. in that way, I think it's a deliberate, it's a deliberate campaign move to have one or two big ideas, and you just keep hammering your big ideas. You know that debate we went to. Yeah. The answer to many of the questions was, well, ha, it, free public transport fixes that. It fixes equity. Mm. It's climate mm. change. This is his argument that, in many ways, having this one big policy deals to a lot of Auckland's. Issues in the way that Len Brown campaigned strongly on the, the city rail link. So let's come to Leo Malloy. He is obviously someone who has made a lot of big headlines, uh, some for reasons that uh, could raise questions around his character, others that his supporters would say show him to have the necessarily kind of bulldozer mentality that you need to get things done in Auckland. What's it like covering somebody like Leo Malloy. He is <laughs> um, an interesting character. I mean, the, the campaign approach and his n- natural personality, he's on mm. the Phil Spector wall of sound sort of campaign. Yeah. I mean, it's all, about, it's all about the noise. It's being out there. It's being heard and being, even if people don't like you, as long as people are talking about you, he's winning is one of his lines. Mm. 
So he's he's very loud and uh, he has a lot of confidence in his own personal appeal and the fact that he says what he thinks, mm. um, which is a problem from a campaign point of view, if they're trying to go, we want our candidate to stick to these messages and not get distracted into other arguments. So he's he's an interesting one to pin down. And, you know, and I had interesting experiences early on in his campaign mm. uh, when they brought in uh, a, camp- a media manager and, and the campaign was getting going. Leo liked to be able to do and say what he wanted to. Yeah. And at one point I was trying to talk to him because some of the things he was saying weren't clear. The media manager was saying, no, he's not going to talk to you. You send me the send me the questions on by email. We'll deal with it in writing. Doing the thing that political commerce yeah. people do all day, every day. Yeah. And there was actually quite a bit of tension building up inside his uh-huh. team because, uh-huh. you know, he thought Leo being Leo was the winning ingredient and, and the team weren't so convinced. Mm. And it even got to the point where I arranged to have a coffee with him and that got that got nodded right. as well. And that comms manager, Kate Cordy, has left the team now. Yeah, so the, the team and she pitch it as one of those things, you yep. know, everyone had, for whatever reason, had contracts up to the up to end of July. And yes. at that point, there were mutual decisions to move on. But there was certainly tension in the camp. There's a new media manager in there now, Steve Dean. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see whether yeah, that changes. He's been striving to define his role as something that isn't quite media manager, but yes, he's basically filmed yeah. those shows. Well, he's the one we deal with. And it's, similarly, the campaign chair has 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 parted ways. Yeah, June McCabe. June yeah. McCabe, who's been who's been 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 through a few rodeos, and yeah. uh, also the advertising agency, which is a company run by Jordan Williams, mm. who is also the person who founded the Auckland Ratepayers Alliance, which. Uh, I'm not not certain that there's a link between these two things, but that organisation ran some advertisements that were critical of Malloy, mm. and now his agent, his social media agency is no longer operating for the Malloy campaign. So there's been quite a few yeah. ructions in there. And, and yeah, that's, that's, I mean the thing with the the Jordan Williams, co-founder of the Taxpayers Union, mm. had as a separate business of his own a thing called the Campaign Company. Yep. They got the contract to do social media for Leo Malloy's campaign. Uh, at the same time, as you say, Jordan Williams owned the Auckland Ratepayers Alliance before it morphed into being part of the Taxpayers Union. Mm. So he he wears these many hats in the campaign, um, but they weren't necessarily aligned. In fact, uh, that debate that you and I went to at, at the university, as it turned out, um, Leo Malloy recognised his one of his social media guys sitting in the audience, what he didn't know was his social media guy was sitting alongside the Auckland Ratepayers Alliance guy. So Mm. they were mates. Mm. His social media guy's working for him and the Auckland Ratepayers Alliance came out with an ad critical of Leo Malloy. Uh, Uh, So all these things were sort of joined up but not joined up and not surprisingly, for whatever reason, the social media guys parted company with the campaign in a sort of mutual wanting to part way. Right, I mean, it's worth it's worth saying to be fair that Jordan Williams had declared that conflict when he oh, appeared. Oh yes, there was no so there was, there yeah. It wasn't as though there was any subterfuge happening there. Um, what is Leo Malloy's platform? Um, he's he's kind of Mister Shakeup. You know, mm. he's going to go and sort out Auckland Transport, um, a popular uh, flogging horse in campaigns over many years. Uh, so he's going to he's decided that Auckland Transport is a sort of 
a popular target. Yep. People don't seem to like it for whatever their reasons are. So he's going to sort out the board. He's going to change who's on the board. He's going to sort out the CCOs. He's going to get rid of layers of management in the council. Um, he's pitched himself as the, the fresh, you know, the new broom. Uh, and he, at the same time, he's got these big visions. He's pushing the idea of a downtown stadium, waterfront stadium, mm. selling off the, the the port company land, moving the port. Um, so he's kind of big on everything. Viv Beck is the closest thing we have to an establishment centre-right candidate, and that is uh, reflected in the endorsement that she gained after a longer period of time than had been expected by many. I would think it's fair to say even Viv Beck. (laughs) Um, She was endorsed by a group called CNR, which is now called Communities and Residents, but was born as... Citizens and Ratepayers. Citizens and Ratepayers. So the the C's and the R's. What's what's her policy platform broadly? Yeah, as you say, she's become, if you like, the the mainstream centre-right candidate. She's got that CNR brand, which is, you know, these are the same people at a local level who are involved with the National Party. Kind of a proxy is is best there is for the Yeah, local franchise, if you like, Um, although it has its own history. But um, so the value to her of her endorsement is for people for whom that is their brand. She becomes, you know, the candidate that they Mm. would want voters to look at. Mm. She has a kind of a down-the-middle policy on on most things. Her transport policy is don't do the big light rail, but do do lots more public transport in the form of more frequent bus routes, Mm. more, you know, rapid rapid routes across the isthmus. Um, Not the major, not the investment in cycling at the level that's proposed by the current council, but focusing cycling in certain areas around schools. So she's kind of, you know, everything in moderation kind of candidate. Her background most recently is with Heart of the City, which is the Downtown Business Association. So she kind of uh, is, is, as you say, that kind of moderate business centre-right voice versus perhaps Leo Malloy's more kind of entrepreneurial, dashing approach. Um, How do you rate her performance? My perception is that she's starting to get a bit of mojo insofar as I interviewed her quite early on and... I sort of wasn't even persuaded that she particularly wanted to do it. I slightly got the impression, I mean, I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't prove it. It was just an um, impression that, you know, she'd been uh, she'd been strongly encouraged to take this on and yeah. the, the centre-right was looking for someone that they could uh, put in there and, you know, a bit like um, uh, uh, Vic Crone in a way. Yeah. You know, it felt like it's kind of, you can be our, you go, you you can be our guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but, but then in that debate, most recently, it sort of seemed like she'd started to get a bit of, a bit of pace in her performance. What did you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. She started off very quietly and, and not insecure, but, but it didn't sound a lot of, a confident or at home. Super cautious. Yeah, cautious. And, and when you moved away from, you know, the city centre stuff, which has been her bread and butter for years, she, kind of felt not very sure about uh, what was going on. Uh, but, yeah, there was a point where going to those debates, you went, hey, she's kind of picked up her game. She looks like she's enjoying it. The messages are getting a little bit stronger, mm. um, which may be just her getting into her stride and getting more experience at doing those 
things. It's not clear to me how big a campaign she has behind her in terms of mm. she's certainly got somebody who works on transport policy, but it's not clear to me how much kind of classical political campaign grunt she's got. She's got a background herself in marketing, communications, those sorts of things. So to what extent she's kind of out on her own, it's not clear, but she certainly yeah. is picking up her game and, and becoming... I guess, sharper and more interesting as the detail of her policy comes through. It's interesting, isn't it, that, you know, we talk about it being the local analogue for the National Party, but you certainly don't get the impression that there's this big party machinery that's rolled into town with her. No. And CNR... Is, is not a is not a big organization is it it's, no. it's genuine feels proper local body kind of operation yeah that's what I mean for her campaign is the endorsement might be helpful but yeah. it's not clear what else comes I mean I don't know that they have an army of people across Auckland and I don't know that it necessarily brings big donors in mm. the way that a labor party endorsement might um, and and that relationship with CNR took an awfully long time to come to fruition. They were negotiating memorandums of understanding they were saying right. earlier on, and uh, it took a long time before that endorsement came. They said they were also canvassing other candidates to make sure they were picking the right one. But, yeah, it's a bit like, as you say, Vic Crone, everybody to do with the National Party turned up at her launch, MPs galore. Yeah. But then it looked like she was just kind of left to it on Off her own go. once the you know yeah. once the dishes were done. Um, the, the the other thing that Vivek seems to be attempting to do tactically, and perhaps perhaps to some extent all of the candidates except for Fesso, is she she was almost kind of try, kind of trying to. Imp- Brace Fesso Collins in that debate and in other places I've seen it. And to kind of, me and you, Fesso, you and I, Fesso, to try and just kind of create this framing of the contest with Beck and Collins as, yeah. as the head-to-head. Yeah, well, there literally was an embrace at the, uh, the Wati Marae one, oh. which, was, which was where for the first time <clears throat> Viv Beck sort of pushed back at Leo Malloy's kind of colourful and sharp attacks on uh-huh, her. Uh-huh. Uh, and and both she and Ofeso Collins talked about what the mayor should be, that it's a dignified role that has mana and so on. Right. And so it was almost like a you know, the dignified candidates pushback. And at the end of that <clears throat> at the end of that debate, they did kind of go and give each other mm. a hug. So mm. it seemed to be an important moment. But th- there are various framings going on. I think those two, Viv Beck and Feso Collins, are trying to sort of push the dignified, thoughtful, mm. serious candidate. Uh, Leo Malloy's trying to make it a pitch it as a two horse race between him and Feso Collins. Yep, from day one. He from was day one, yep. Wayne Brown is kind of pushing his own road, saying, you know, neither of you have got the the upper hand here. I mean, still on kind of base political tactics, if you were in the Collins camp, you would be cautious about going along with that framing of a a two-horse race because it would suit you quite well for the rest to be scrapping between themselves. Yeah, I'm not sure that Professor Collins is trying to pitch it as him and Viv as the main candidates. Uh, but in that circumstance, they were trying to pitch themselves as, you know, the dignified, serious politicians, as you like, versus the rest. 
Uh, yeah, no, from if you're Efeso Collins, you want the other four or five to have good campaigns and carve up the, the whatever you call it, the non-incumbent vote amongst yeah. them. And the, uh, harking back to the first-past-the-post system we talked about before, uh, and then Wayne Brown, you mentioned, who is um, presenting himself as the fixer. Yeah. Tell us about Wayne Brown. So Wayne Brown, uh, in more recent times, he was the mayor of the Far North District Council, which is where he has one of his homes, mm. up in Monganui. Uh He was, for, for a while, and this is the basis of his campaign, basically, for a while there, he had leading roles in public institutions like the Auckland District Health Board. He was the chair. He, ha- he was chair of Transpower. <clears throat> he, he got those kind of government-appointed roles at times when those institutions had some big issues to deal with. Auckland District Health Board was at the time when the big, the big upgrade of the city centre hospital was going on. So he is, his campaign is based on his track record mm. of fixing up big institutions and he's he's pitching Auckland Council as a big public institution that needs fixing and needs those skills that he's had. I guess the difficulty that he has is that, you know, a lot of his big career has been, I don't know, pre-2000. So yeah. it's going back in time a bit. So there'll be a lot of people who don't know him, don't know the stuff that he talks about that he's fixed. Um, but And he is pitching pitching to that particular audience, the 50-plus property voter. You'll see he advertises in print in mm, Herald. Mm. He's on uh, News Talk ZB Radio, where that kind of audience is, is to be found. So he has a lot of confidence in what he's done in the past and his ability to take that message to that audience. He needs... A good poll, though, doesn't he? And it's interesting that he commissioned one specifically because mm. you sort of feel as though, especially for him, for all of them to some extent, they need someone to start kind of emerging or be on a trajectory that suggests that they could be the, there's no other way to put it, the alternative mm. to the Labour Green-endorsed incumbent councillor. Yeah, I mean, he's not out of it in the poll numbers. The, the one that he commissioned, which he was trying to zoom in on and, and they actually asked people this question, yeah. trying to zoom in on the ones who are likely to vote. Yeah. Uh, so he came out um, in the raw numbers. It was a Fesso Collins sixteen percent, Leo Malloy thirteen, Wayne Brown twelve. So he's only, you know, four percent off the leader in that one. Mm. And then if you take out the significant undecided, it goes Collins twenty eight, Malloy twenty three, Wayne Brown twenty one. Mm. So he's not completely mm. out of it. He's certainly up there as the leading oppositional candidate, if you like. It's one of those things, again, to touch on the electoral system. We saw in Wellington, Andy Foster kind of come through. And you, 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 you feel as though that's the kind of, the, you know, maybe even, goodness, goodness knows, maybe even a Craig Lord is <laughs> someone who would have a chance in a system like that. Yeah, I know. Well, Craig Lord, who he's a, he's a second time round. He was on the podium. Is it only a second? I sort of feel yeah. like he's stood in every, every, every election. That, well, no, that he's been, been, he's on he's Facebook. Around. He's been, been continuously on Facebook uh-huh. since his 2019 campaign where he came Third, and I guess like most contestants, once you've made it onto the podium and got the bronze medal, mm. you know, you are then you then believe that you can go the next <laughs> step or two. Um, so the, the the polls, which we shouldn't dwell on too much, but they're the only 
kind of indicators we've got. He's clearly number five by a long way back yep. in those polls. Um, Craig Lord is a you know, engineer technician who turned into sort of media doing emceeing and sports commentary and a bit of talk back and so on. So he is pitching his blend of being someone who is analytical, fixes things, but can communicate. Mm. But I guess in what he's communicating, and it's obviously resonating with people, he is not pinning himself to big detailed policy. Uh, in simple terms, he's saying, hey, it's not for me to tell you. When I'm mayor, I want to hear what you want me to do, mm. which is a complicated, you know. Mm. It's all very well having those catchy stances on Auckland Transport this and Ports of Auckland that. But, you know, come the crunch, people are going to want to know what you're going to do, not just what kind of personality you are. Now, I clicked onto uh, stuff.co.nz and there was a Todd Nile story there yesterday and I thought that someone had accidentally loaded a story from <laughs> three years ago or six years ago because it, the headline said that John Polino has entered the race. Yes, John Polino, uh, the Florida candidate where he currently lives at the moment. So John Polino, for those who... who he was the main challenger to Len Brown in 2013. Mm. 2013 was the, the second uh, Auckland Council election. There was no way that Len Brown was going to lose that. So there wasn't a big field of traditional centre-right candidates. Yeah. John Polino, restaurateur, he'd done a TV sort of kitchen programme, um, American-born. Mm. He effectively became the challenger and came a distant second to Len Brown. But, you know, sort of like Craig Lord being on the podium, felt that that was a platform to keep on going. Uh, he was perhaps became most well known throughout the country immediately after the 23rd election. There was the Len Brown uh, extramarital affair scandal mm. Um which had links to John Polino's campaign. Polino denied, you know, a direct involvement, but Luigi Wiwiji, his Luigi Wiwiji, one, uh, one of the famous names of New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> had clearly been involved in, in efforts to try and get the, the release of the admission mm. of this affair before Election Day, but it didn't quite happen. And... Uh, Polino came back in 2016, he came back in 2019, but pulled out partway through the race and shortly afterwards he and his family went to Florida. He says he's hoping to get back for campaigning, but it is an interesting concept. Um, don't ask me why. Did he come to you with that story or did he put out a release? How did that, I mean, the... He, I've had a couple of emails from him over the past couple of months, just completely out of yeah. the blue, where he's wanted to pick up how I'd viewed policies that he'd had in the last election, uh -huh. just completely out of the blue. Uh -huh. um, and then the most recent one I got said, you know, not completely clearly, but suggested he was running for mayor again. And, and I confirmed that with him. And sure enough, on, on the latest update of candidates, there he was. One other candidate who you mentioned on the way into the studio, is Lisa Lewis. Yeah. I mean, you might have thought there was enough adult entertainment in the campaign already, but Lisa Lewis is a candidate. Uh, people may remember back in 2006, uh, 
as a youngish woman, she not streaked because she was wearing a bikini, but hmm. uh, did a pitch invasion of the All Blacks Ireland test in Hamilton and became headline news from that. Since then, she's been involved in various bits of the adult industry, if you like, in around Hamilton. Hmm. And for some reason, she's decided to enter the Auckland mayoralty. She's sent us a copy of her candidate statement and her form. Uh-huh. What her platform is, I don't know. The um, <laughs> Whether it's her campaign line, but one of her lines in her emails is, vote for me, you can cut the ribbon. And there's a sort of an adult entertainment level picture that comes with it. I see. So uh, quite a strange moment for the Auckland mayoralty if you thought somebody from Florida was as strange as it would get. It's it's part of local body politics, though, isn't it, to some degree, these characters and the kind of interesting subplots. And it's almost as though, and you know, the, the, the stereotype of local body politics, which I think is only right to some extent, is that it's sort of fusty and boring and endless meetings and I know you've endured some of those over the years but it's also so this is sort of almost like a kind of scattering of hundreds and thousands on the top yeah I mean, to be honest when you look at a 35% turnout last time yeah and to be honest I'm not sure whether it's going to go up or down this time It'd be dreadful if it went down Go down imagine so you have to say anyone anyone at all who joins the contest and mm. gets any kind of publicity that there is a contest happening, you'd have to say, well, good on them. It's, you know, it's it's all good for awareness, Yeah. whether or not anybody wants to vote for them. I mean, the more people become aware that there is a local body election, there is a mayor and councillors and local board members to vote for, mm. it's got to be a good thing, I guess. I talked to Julian Molyneux from um, AUT yesterday, and she made the point, and there's sort of various examples that bear this out, that when you have interesting mayoralty races the opposite of which is when you have uncontested mayoralties. Mm. When you have interesting races, that that, 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 that that filters down to the down-ballot stuff. So, for example, if you have someone, a very even a very popular mayor, standing uncontested, mm. then people will go, well, I trust that, that mayor, they're fine. So they don't bother, and then that affects the, the, the votes for, for councillors, for boards, for trusts, for everything. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's right. And I think that's been part of the reason for the decline in Auckland since that first election and, and that the incumbents were so strong that there, were, there never really seemed to be a genuine contest. Well, there was a contest, but there was never a genuine likelihood that the incumbent wouldn't get back in. Hmm. Um, even in the transition from Len Brown to Phil Goff, they were kind of at the time, they looked like they might be a similar candidate. Mm. You know, business-friendly, left-leaning Labour candidates in a suit. And we're still six weeks out from voting packs going out, I think. So so we can be hopeful that, you know, the the amount of coverage, the interest will build over the course of that period. I mean, do you have a sense, this is a very hard one, I'm sure, to cast your memory back to, but whether at this point in the lead into election, where we are in terms of the extent to which people's ears are, are, are pricked up? So the, you know, the hardcore campaign people say this is still early, but there have been campaigns, 2016, I think Goff's first one, because yeah. he was an early, there was uh, a contender early, there were quite significant campaign meetings in February of that year, right. and I went to one in Ellerslie. Right. So, you know, the campaign was up and running in mm. February of election mm. year. 
here we are in August and it's still not on a lot of people's radars. So, you know, for watchers like me, it's kind of frustrating. It feels like, you know, gosh, you know, we're nearly there and mm, it's not mm. happening. But, but that period just before or as the papers come out yeah. is when the hardcore campaigners believe people really start to tune in. And it will depend a little bit on, I guess, the conduct of the candidates, you know, whether somebody will come up with a policy or say something or do something that, that starts to pitch it more into the headlines. Mm. I mentioned before the interminable meetings. What is these mayors are these would be mayors are going out and making promises and pledges and some of them aren't even necessarily within the power of a council, let alone a mayor, because yeah. they involve central government. What what is the reality of the mayor of a council, specifically the super city council, how much can a mayor really do? Well, quite a lot, but it's how they do it that counts. Mm. So the mayor, everyone says, the mayor is just he or she is one vote around the council table. When it comes to the crunch, that's right. But particularly the way the Auckland mayoralty is set up under that legislation, there's, there's millions of dollars, up to $4 million, though it never gets spent for a mayoral mm. office. Um, the idea there was that the mayor could, could carry out research, could float ideas, you know, could be a kind of a thinker for the city. Yeah. Why does that never get spent? Um, I think because politicians, there's nothing a politician fears more than being pinged for, right. Right. you know, bad spending of public money, and that's certainly the case for Goff, mm. um, who has taken, you know, his, his staff used to pester us with why aren't you highlighting how little of his budget he's spending. And so it was a good thing, mm. might not be a good thing. Um, so in the Auckland case also, the mayor presents the first proposal for the annual budget. So the mayor gets to shape that debate. There's a bit of consultation with councillors, but the mayor can set the direction of, well, this is the level of rates rise. I'm comfortable with these are the things that I think we should be doing. And generally that has held sway through the budget process. But it has to be a mayor who can influence and get a a consensus of enough councillors around that council table. Uh, And it's something that Phil Goff didn't come to as naturally as as Len Brown before with his Mm. longer local body experience. So what can a mayor do? Look at Len Brown, for example, the city rail link. Uh, He campaigned on it, Mm. the biggest, costliest, most transformative public transport project the country's ever seen. Uh, He campaigned on it. There was a roar of applause at the inauguration when he said, we will build the inner city loop. He was up against a national-led government that was hostile to the idea Mm. and essentially by the end of his first term that was a happening thing that project the council pushed on gradually got the government round and so that you know will be built in 2025 so a mayor focused and and able to bring people around him can do an awful lot and if you are elected on a big promise that carries with it quite a lot of moral weight, doesn't it? I mean, that mandate has to be heard in yeah. Wellington as well. Yeah, it has to be heard. <laughs> <laughs> and it will be heard, whether they like it or not. Um, so you need to be somebody who's not only got big ideas, but has got the ability to influence the yes. government the way uh, that Len Brown did with a government that was not naturally 
On his side, Phil Goff had the advantage that within a year of coming into office, uh, there was a Labour-Green government Mm. that he would have been part of had he not left it to become the mayor of Auckland. So that's not necessarily been a good thing on everything, that Mm. he's, he's had allegiances to what their government is doing that take light rail, for example, may not have been in Auckland's best interests, but... Uh, yeah, so the, the mayor does get hurt in Wellington, but has to be able to deal with Wellington in a way that works. So, Todd, Niall, you have been on the campaign trail already for, I guess, a couple of months. Proper, you know, there's quite quite a few events. I imagine you have been getting home quite late on a lot of evenings. Tell me a bit about what the campaign trail is like now. Are there any particular events that have struck you as instructive or colourful or weird? Uh, not apart from the egg throwing at the, <laughs> the University yes. Debating Society one. So the, the actual mayoral debates themselves I've found frustrating because they are each time more or less the same. Um, sometimes puzzling because a candidate's put out a policy and not really talked to it mm. um, at the debate. It's kind of, it almost felt like they're going through the motions in right, a way. right. Bearing in mind that these are small meetings, but these are the meetings that the media go to and report to the wider public. So I, I'm still kind of waiting for something to happen, you know, someone to break free, if you like. You mentioned to me on the earlier that you went to this event in Walkworth. Was that a campaign event or was that no, a... No, so was... the, the Walkworth meeting was a kind of a side trip, if you like, because it involved two council candidates. There was a meeting in Walkworth a couple of weeks ago mm. from a new group called Unify NZ. Right. Uh, and its purpose was to inform people about issues, and those issues were on the night. A speaker from Hobson's Pledge, mm-hmm. um, you know, who are against co-governance and so on. The theme of the meeting was uh, democracy, not co-governance. So there was Hobson's Pledge. Mm. There was a speaker from Groundswell, you know, the, the, the farmers' movement against yes. all sorts of things. And the third speaker was Albany Ward Councillor John Watson, the MC for the meeting was Rodney Ward councillor Greg Sayers in his home patch. And I guess I was intrigued in what looked like a meeting that is part of this, I don't like to say Trumpian because it's too simple, but part of this kind of movement that seems to be happening. Sort of freedom movement as yeah, it casts itself. Yeah, all of yeah. those slogans and what were two councillors doing in it. And I've come away not quite sure what was going on. Um, John Watson who sits on a, a body called the Hauraki Gulf Forum, mm. did quite a, a, a strident speech, critical of the co-governance element of that, the fact that he'd, you know, he'd said things which had resulted in him having a code of conduct complaint against him in the council. Um, Greg Sayers was a completely neutral MC, but it was interesting that, that these people were prepared to be seen within this group. Uh, it's an interesting one to watch. Uh, and whether there are more such groups around the country, I guess, is an interesting question that are that are tapping into election yes. issues or local body issues as a way of spreading this message. Or, well, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And, you know, in fact, the last couple of days, Voices for Freedom, a, you know, an anti-vax, anti-mandate, mm. anti-mask group that has been censured, you know, by the Advertising Standards Authority mm. for 
for spreading misinformation, among mm. other things. And some of the language from that group, you know, you would and, hear in that walk with meeting. And, 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 and some people tell you that's sort of a strategy that's been pursued, certainly in the US and the UK, because, but one of the things that is specifically cited, and this is, this is not talking, speaking to Auckland necessarily, but around the country, there are boards that don't have enough candidates. Yeah. And so you need to get in there and then we can. Now, <clears throat> it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because elections are, you know, the epitome of democracy to some degree. Not all of democracy, but a critical <laughs> part of it. And as in that meeting, you don't want to deny people the opportunity to, to say their piece. But it, it's a delicate balance, isn't mm. it? Because the strident nature of some of those groups may rather than engaging people into politics, maybe scaring people off. If you look at the numbers, and local government NZ Mm. uh, had quite a push midweek to try and hammer home that nominations are down, people are not signing up or putting themselves forward for election uh, in the numbers that they have in the past, particularly at the entry level, that community board, or as we call it in Auckland, local board level. The last numbers I saw for Auckland, I think there were, I mean, it's going up and there's always a rush at the end, but, you know, same period in the period, I think 87 nominations versus 137 three years ago. And the big really right, the big right. drop off was at that community board level. So is it that people are wary of putting themselves into that environment where there is hostility about issues they're going to be dealt, dealing with? Is it partly, you know, coming out of COVID that people have just got other things that they're focusing on? But it is, it's an interesting discussion point as to why people aren't signing up in the, in the same way that they were three years ago. Absolutely. And there is, you know, DHBs aren't on the ballots this year, um, but the, it's pretty hard to find anyone who would defend the DHB model, the elected model, in anything but theory, you know, like it was a terrific theory, but in the end... And, and how a, many people were voting in a And a dreadful challenge way. for voters, you know, where, yeah. uh, you know, it was STV, so you didn't just tick the candidates you wanted, you had to mm. rank them and just enormously challenging. And I think a lot of people, I can't remember the numbers, but a lot of people just didn't go that far down the ballot paper, got to the health board and too hard. One of the, this is getting into the weeds a bit, but one of the, Criticisms that's been levelled at the local body election approach more generally, specifically by, and I'm going to write something about this in the next day or two, I hope, uh, by the the Justice Committee's inquiries into the 2016 and the 2019 local elections. The number one recommendation of both was that they should be centralised and come under the Electoral Commission umbrella. Electoral Commission knows what they're doing in the case of local body elections. It's... um. It's devolved, in effect, so it's mm. the task of each council, I think that's right to say, and then they, yeah. uh, there are two companies that normally... I mean, is that... As I say, it's getting in the weeds a bit, but in terms of the push to try and get more people involved, in terms of the push to try and get more people voting, broadly, the push to try and make people more aware of these things, which is a fantastic service you provide every day in trying to share those stories, but you're one guy <laughs> in yeah. one part of the country... That that is that. Do you think that that is a piece of the puzzle? Do you have a view on that? I mean, something's got to change. I, I'm not 100 percent what all the bits are that have to change. I'm not sure that postal voting, as the as the only form of voting for local body, really has a future. Mm. Um, mm. You know, there's 
there's all the anecdotes about there being one or two generations now who never posted a letter. Yeah. You know, you've got to fill your form out. You've got to find somewhere to post it. There's fewer postal boxes. Um, as you say, part of the promotion work is done by the Electoral Commission, but there's a point, I think it's this weekend, where it, from there on the, the conduct and the promotion of the election falls to the local councils. Mm. You're then in a position, Auckland still, you know, putting... I think four or five million dollars into it, not quite as much as they used to. They're under financial pressure. So, you know, you have an election that may not be promoted in the same way that it was in the past. Um, there's that other debate about whether, you know, big party labels should be used by candidates. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, I would hope that Auckland can't fall below 35%, but it is possible. And if it is, then it's a real, you know, it's a real sign that something's got to change in a in a city as big with the issues that Auckland has that, you know, maybe less than a third of people can bother to vote. Thank you very much, Todd Nile. Todd is writing pretty much every day, often multiple times every day on stuff.co.nz on all matters relating to Auckland, but right now a lot to do with the election fast approaching. So uh, a must read. Very, very good to have you in here. Thank you so much, Todd. Thanks, too. Kia ora e te iwi. Te Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spinoff Podcast Network.